section forty nine of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten continued thomas de quincey seventeen eighty five eighteen fifty nine in de quincey the romantic element is even more strongly developed than in lamb not only in his critical work but also in his erratic and imaginative life he was profoundly educated even more so than coleridge and was one of the keenest intellects of the age yet his wonderful intellect seems always subordinate to his passion for dreaming like lamb he was a friend and associate of the lake poets making his headquarters in wordsworth's old cottage at grasmere for nearly twenty years here the resemblance ceases and a marked contrast begins as a man lamb is the most human and lovable of all our essayists while de quincey is the most uncanny and incomprehensible lamb's modest works breathe the two essential qualities of sympathy and humor the greater number of de quincey's essays while possessing more or less of both of these qualities are characterized chiefly by their brilliant style life as seen through de quincey's eyes is nebulous and chaotic and there is a suspicion of the fabulous in all that he wrote even in the revolt of the tartars the romantic element is uppermost and in much of de quincey's prose the element of unreality is more noticeable than in shelley's poetry of his subject matter his facts ideas and criticisms we are generally suspicious but of his style sometimes stately and sometimes headlong now gorgeous as an oriental dream now musical as keats endymion and always even in the most violent contrasts showing a harmony between the idea and the expression such as no other english writer with the possible exception of newman has ever rivalled say what you will of the marvelous brilliancy of de quincey's style you have still only half expressed the truth it is the style alone which makes these essays immortal life de quincey was born in manchester in seventeen eighty five in neither his father who was a prosperous merchant nor his mother who was a quiet unsympathetic woman do we see any suggestion of the son's almost uncanny genius as a child he was given to dreams more vivid and intense but less beautiful than those of the young blake to whom he bears a strong resemblance in the grammar school at bath he displayed astonishing ability and acquired greek and latin with a rapidity that frightened his slow tutors at fifteen he not only read greek but spoke it fluently and one of his astounded teachers remarked that boy could harangue an athenian mob better than you or i could address an english one from the grammar school at manchester whither he was sent in eighteen hundred he soon ran away finding the instruction far below his abilities and the rough life absolutely intolerable to his sensitive nature an uncle just home from india interceded for the boy lest he be sent back to the school which he hated and with an allowance of a guinea a week he started a career of vagrancy much like that of goldsmith living on the open hills in the huts of shepherds and charcoal burners in the tents of gypsies wherever fancy led him 
his fear of the manchester school finally led him to run away to london where without money or friends his life was even more extraordinary than his gypsy wanderings the details of this vagrancy are best learned in his confessions of an english opium-eater where we meet not simply the facts of his life but also the confusion of dreams and fancies in the midst of which he wandered like a man lost on the mountains with storm-clouds under his feet hiding the familiar earth after a year of vagrancy and starvation he was found by his family and allowed to go to oxford where his career was marked by the most brilliant and erratic scholarship when ready for a degree in eighteen o seven he passed his written tests successfully but felt a sudden terror at the thought of the oral examination and disappeared from the university never to return it was in oxford that de quincey began the use of opium to relieve the pains of neuralgia and the habit increased until he was an almost hopeless slave to the drug only his extraordinary will-power enabled him to break away from the habit after some thirty years of misery some peculiarity of his delicate constitution enabled de quincey to take enormous quantities of opium enough to kill several ordinary men and it was largely opium working upon a sensitive imagination which produced his gorgeous dreams broken by intervals of weakness and profound depression for twenty years he resided at grasmere in the companionship of the lake poets and here led by the loss of his small fortune he began to write with the idea of supporting his family in eighteen twenty one he published his first famous work the confessions of an english opium-eater and for nearly forty years afterwards he wrote industriously contributing to various magazines an astonishing number of essays on a great variety of subjects without thought of literary fame he contributed these articles anonymously but fortunately in eighteen fifty three he began to collect his own works and the last of fourteen volumes was published just after his death in eighteen thirty led by his connection with blackwood's magazine to which he was the chief contributor de quincey removed with his family to edinburgh where his erratic genius and his singularly childlike ways produced enough amusing anecdotes to fill a volume he would take a room in some place unknown to his friends and family would live in it for a few years until he had filled it even to the bathtub with books and with his own chaotic manuscripts allowing no one to enter or disturb his den and then when the place became too crowded he would lock the door and go away and take another lodging where he repeated the same extraordinary performance he died in edinburgh in eighteen fifty nine like lamb he was a small boyish figure gentle and elaborately courteous though excessively shy and escaping as often as possible to solitude he was nevertheless fond of society and his wide knowledge and vivid imagination made his conversations almost as prized as those of his friend coleridge works de quincey's works may be divided into two general classes the first includes his numerous critical articles and the second his autobiographical sketches all his works it must be remembered were contributed to various magazines and were hastily collected just before his death 
hence the general impression of chaos which we get from reading them critical essays from a literary viewpoint the most illuminating of de quincey's critical works is his literary reminiscences this contains brilliant appreciations of wordsworth coleridge lamb shelley keats hazlitt and landor as well as some interesting studies of the literary figures of the age preceding among the best of his brilliant critical essays are on the knocking at the gate in macbeth eighteen twenty three which is admirably suited to show the man's critical genius and murder considered as one of the fine arts eighteen twenty seven which reveals his grotesque humor other suggestive critical works if one must choose among such a multitude are his letters to a young man eighteen twenty three joan of arc eighteen forty seven the revolt of the tartars eighteen forty and the english mail coach eighteen forty nine in the last-named essay the dream fugue is one of the most imaginative of all his curious works confessions of an opium eater etc of de quincey's autobiographical sketches the best known is his confessions of an english opium eater eighteen twenty one this is only partly a record of opium dreams and its chief interest lies in the glimpses it gives us of de quincey's own life and wanderings this should be followed by suspiria de profundis eighteen forty five which is chiefly a record of gloomy and terrible dreams produced by opiates the most interesting parts of his suspiria showing de quincey's marvelous insight into dreams are those in which we are brought face to face with the strange feminine creations levana madonna our lady of sighs and our lady of darkness a series of nearly thirty articles which he collected in eighteen fifty three called autobiographic sketches completes the revelation of the author's own life among his miscellaneous works may be mentioned in order to show his wide range of subjects klosterheim a novel logic of political economy the essays on style and rhetoric philosophy of herodotus and his articles on goethe pope schiller and shakespeare which he contributed to the encyclopedia britannica the style of de quincey de quincey's style is a revelation of the beauty of the english language and it profoundly influenced ruskin and other prose writers of the victorian age it has two chief faults diffuseness which continually leads de quincey away from his object and triviality which often makes him halt in the midst of a marvelous paragraph to make some light jest or witticism that has some humor but no mirth in it notwithstanding these faults de quincey's prose is still among the few supreme examples of style in our language though he was profoundly influenced by the seventeenth century writers he attempted definitely to create a new style which should combine the best elements of prose and poetry in consequence his prose works are often like those of milton more imaginative and melodious than much of our poetry he has been well called the psychologist of style and as such his works will never be popular but to the few who can appreciate him he will always be an inspiration to better writing 
one has a deeper respect for our english language and literature after reading him secondary writers of romanticism one has only to glance back over the authors we have been studying wordsworth coleridge salvey byron shelley keats scott lamb de quincey to realize the great change which swept over the life and literature of england in a single half century under two influences which we now know as the french revolution in history and the romantic movement in literature in life men had rebelled against the too strict authority of state and society in literature they rebelled even more vigorously against the bonds of classicism which had sternly repressed a writer's ambition to follow his own ideals and to express them in his own way naturally such an age of revolution was essentially poetic only the elizabethan age surpasses it in this respect and it produced a large number of minor writers who followed more or less closely the example of its great leaders among novelists we have jane austen francis burney maria edgeworth jane porter and susan ferrier all women be it noted among the poets campbell moore hogg parentheses the ettrick shepherd mrs hamans haber kebble hood and ingoldsby parentheses richard barham and among miscellaneous writers sydney smith christopher north parentheses john wilson chalmers lockhart lee hunt hazlitt hallam and lander here is an astonishing variety of writers and to consider all their claims to remembrance would of itself require a volume though these are generally classed as secondary writers much of their work has claims to popularity and some of it to permanence moore's irish melodies campbell's lyrics keble's christian year and jane porter's thaddeus of warsaw and scottish chiefs have still a multitude of readers where keats lamb and de quincey are prized only by the cultured few and hallam's historical and critical works are perhaps better known than those of gibbon who nevertheless occupies a larger place in our literature among all these writers we choose only two jane austen and walter savage landor whose works indicate a period of transition from the romantic to the victorian age End of section forty nine